With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. It's a new year and a new chance for you to make a fresh start with your compliance. For the next 31 days on the FCPA Compliance Report, we're going to be bringing you a daily tip, strategy, or idea that you can use to improve your program. Here's your host, Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. The Yates Memo and Internal Investigations. In September 2015, Sally Yates, then Assistant Attorney General, announced the memo that bears her name, the Yates Memo. She said, we have revised our policy guidance to require that if a company wants any credit for cooperation, any credit at all, it must identify all individuals involved in the wrongdoing, regardless of their position, status, or seniority in the company, and provide all relevant facts about their misconduct. It's all or nothing. No more picking and choosing about what gets disclosed. No more partial credit for cooperation that doesn't include information about individuals. The statement tied directly into one of the first points of the Yates memo, which stated, to be eligible for any cooperation credit, corporations must provide to the Department of Justice all relevant facts about the individuals involved in the corporate misconduct. The Yates memo and her remarks announcing its release indicated a transition to a new era of FCPA enforcement. The Yates memo required the Department of Justice and Securities Investigation investigate individuals immediately at the start of an investigation. She stated, the department instructed its attorneys that going forward, they were to focus on individuals from the start of an investigation, regardless of whether the investigation begins civilly or criminally. Moreover, once a case is underway, the inquiry into individual misconduct can and should proceed in tandem with broader corporate investigations. Delays in corporate cases will no longer suffice as a reason to delay pursuit of individuals involved. Even though these remarks were directed at government lawyers, corporations are now required to initially change the focus of their investigations from attempting to perform any type of root cause analysis to obtaining evidence of attempts to perform, or rather, obtaining evidence against individuals and turning it over to the government as soon as possible. More than three years after the announcement of the Yates memo, the DOJ modified this course somewhat slightly. In 2018, then Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein relaxed this rigid approach required by the Yates memo and inserted more flexibility and discretion to government investigators. Rosenstein said, The DOJ would continue to focus on individuals and its white-collar investigations. But he ended the Yates Memo's all-or-nothing approach and permitted corporations to receive credit for their cooperations if they identify individuals who were significantly involved in or caused the criminal conduct and permitted greater flexibility and discretion in awarding cooperation credit in civil cases. Whichever approach you take, however, the clear change beginning with the Yates memo is that companies now had to investigate individuals and turn over information 
on individuals. And indeed, for the CCO or compliance practitioner, these individual announcements, or rather these twin announcements, change the entire focus of your investigation protocol. Previously, an investigation was to determine how conduct that might have violated the law occurred and then focus on how to remedy it. The first step a CCO or compliance practitioner would take when, the sufficient, when sufficient evidence was developed to fix the problem so that it did not reoccur going forward. If there were a compliance program and internal control weakness, that would be addressed so that neither the original perpetrators could continue the conduct, but also so others could not take advantage of any such structural weakness. Yet after the Yates memo and indeed the Rosenstein addendum, this was no longer the case. The DOJ expects you to provide information about potentially culpable individuals. More rigid under the Yates memo, more flexible under the Rosenstein corollary. This means that employees are going to immediately stop talking to you if they were inclined to do so in the first place. It may well lead to more difficulty in not only performing a root cause analysis, but remedying deficiencies identified. This, of course, is even more borne out, or was more borne out, by the 2017 FCPA corporate enforcement policy, which mandated the same level of cooperation to allow a company to obtain a full declination. But the Yates memo went further than simply saying the DOJ expected you to turn over your own employees. Sally Yates made clear that both she and the DOJ want companies to give up senior executives involved in illegal conduct. She said, we're not going to be accepting a company's cooperation when they just offer up the vice president of in charge of going to jail. Here, the difficulty is around the FCPA requirement for a criminal prosecution or intent. How do you determine intent in a manner where senior executives may have never been involved directly in the transaction? Does this mean insufficient tone at the top will somehow morph into an intent for an FCPA prosecution? Whatever it may mean, at the very least, I think it means that high heads in an organization could very well roll. This means that even low, if lower level employees were engaged in such conduct, which senior management did not know about or even told them not to engage in, senior management may be deemed by the DOJ to have engaged in a conscious indifference by not engaging in ongoing monitoring as a part of an overall best practices compliance program. Simply expecting the company will not violate the FCPA is no longer enough. Companies must monitor transactions to detect and prevent violations. With the Yates memo, senior management who do not actively monitor their organizations may be subject to potential criminal liability. I think it may well be the time where enforcement authorities begin to look at those responsible for an activity where the violation of the anti-bribery, anti-corruption laws take place in addition to committing these legal violations. Frederick Bork was convicted of violating the FCPA based upon the legal theory of conscious avoidance. With the Yates memo and its progeny, the same may hold true for senior management who violate the FCPA. So what are today's three key takeaways? Number one, what is a Yates binder? A Yates binder is a notebook filled with evidence to support why a, or rather who the culpable individuals are, which is turned over to the Department of Justice. Two, a compliance program failure offers up a way for you to upgrade your regime, but only after you fulfill the Yates memo. And finally, the first thing you must do is determine culpable individuals, and from there, you can move towards your remediation.
This is Tom Fox. I hope you will enjoy this month's offering on hotlines and investigations. A 31 days to a more effective compliance program. If I could ask you to do so, would you pass on to at least one person this podcast series on the nuts and bolts of compliance as I'm trying to expand my audience base for 31 days to a more effective compliance program. I hope you'll join me again tomorrow where I take up another topic in innovation and compliance. Thanks again for listening. 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.